0: Um, Someone uh, once asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus responded, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter, but will not be able to. Can you constantly say you have entered the kingdom of God and that you are a part of God's kingdom? I hope and I pray that we can all confidently say that. Paul says that we have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says that it's very difficult to enter the kingdom of God, especially for rich people. I'm not going to talk about money this morning. That's another lesson. But Jesus does say, truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, now why is that? That's because rich people tend to be self-sufficient. They tend to be independent. They tend to think that they do not need God because they've got what? Dollar-dollar bills, y'all, right? So... Turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be looking at Jacob. Jacob wrestling with God this afternoon. Now, Jacob was a self-sufficient, self-made man. He grabbed opportunities when they came up and as they presented themselves even when he was born, the Bible says that he was grasping his brother's heel as he came out of the womb. That's how he gets the name Jacob, which means heel grabber. Jacob wanted to be first. He wanted the blessing of the firstborn, even though he was not the firstborn. He was the secondborn. He cheats Esau's brother out of his birthright with a bowl of a stew. He deceives his blind father. He steals his brother's blessing. And when Esau came for the blessing... Isaac had to tell him, your brother deceitfully took the blessing from you. Esau breaks down he says, is that not why he's called Jacob, a deceiver, a heel grabber, the self-made man? And so Esau wanted to kill him for this, and Jacob goes on the run. He leaves the promised land, he goes back to the land of Abraham, which was Mesopotamia. And when he reaches the border to leave Canaan and go into Mesopotamia, he's all alone, he has nothing but the clothes on his back, and God comes to him in a dream. He has this amazing dream of of heaven being connected to earth by way of a stairway or of a ladder, and there God makes him the same promise that he makes Abraham, to give him the land, to multiply his descendants, and to bless all people through him. So while he's in Mesopotamia, he marries not one wife, but two. He marries both Leah and Rachel, and well, he kind of sort of marries their servants too, Zilpah and and Bilhah. And all the while, he works for 20 years for his uncle Laban, and he ends up having 11 children while he's there in Mesopotamia. This journey that was supposed to only last, his mom said, a few days before she would send for him, ended up taking 20 years. And so the relationship with Laban sours. And God tells Jacob, go on home. It's time to return back to where you came from. And so as he travels home, he gets close to the border once again of the Jabbok River, right where um, the promised land was about to begin. And he has another experience. This is in Genesis 32. The angels of God meet him there. And he says that this place is the camp of God. And realizing that he needs to reconcile with his brother, he sends messengers ahead so that he can ask for forgiveness from Esau. But the messengers come back and they tell him, hey, Esau is on his way, actually, and he's coming with 400 men. And so Jacob is petrified. He's scared to death. He gets fearful. And for the first time, we find a recorded prayer in the Bible of Jacob. Genesis 13. I mean, that's when you normally pray, right? You don't pray when things are going good. You pray when things are going bad. My brother's coming after me. He's got 400 men. Oh, Lord, please save me. And that, in essence, was the content of his prayer. And so he decides to send a gift ahead to Esau. Remember, Jacob is very cunning, very deceiving. He decides to try to butter up his brother, maybe still is angry. He sends this massive, massive Now, the scholars say that not even kings, when they took over towns and villages, would receive gifts like this. Jacob sent his brother 550 animals, goats, sheep, lamb, ewes, rams, cows, bulls, camels. I mean, 550 animals to try to appease his brother. But that night, still in fear... He sends his wives across the river. He sends his servants across the river. He sends his children across the river. And all of his possessions, too, they all go across the river. And he stays on the other side of the Jabbok by himself. All alone, no possessions once again, and in fear once again. And so here Jacob finds himself on the border of the promised land, but this time he's trying to get back in instead of trying to leave. And this begins probably the most significant experience of Jacob's life. It would teach Jacob and later Israel and us too that brokenness is the path to blessing. Brokenness is the path to blessing. Before self-sufficient people can enter the promised land or the kingdom of God, God needs to change them into people who rely on. On Him. Amen. Please pray with me this time. Our um, all wise, all loving, all powerful God in heaven, you alone, Father, deserve praise and honor and glory this morning. You are our heavenly King. You've created us. You know our steps. You know our comings and goings, however many hairs we have on our heads, Father, and you love us. You love us deeply. You love us dearly. And Father, we know that you want us to be conformed to the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. You want us to be humble and you want us to rely on you. You want us to recognize that you have the power, that you have the strength, and we don't. We're just men. We're just women. And so, Father, we pray that as we read your word this morning, as we learn this lesson from Jacob, that We would see just that, that our brokenness really is the path to your blessing. We thank you so much for our brothers and sisters that have returned from India. Thank you for bringing them back safely. We thank you for the work that they did while they were there. And Father, we pray that you would continue to bless the work over in India. We love you and thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Join with me in reading Genesis 32, our our passages. I'm in Exodus 32, sorry. Uh, Our passage is Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And so how does God, or first, the title is God Fights. There we go, God Fights. How does God change us from self-sufficiency to dependency and to reliance upon Him? I think from Jacob's encounter we can see four things that God does to move us from brokenness to blessings. The first is he wrestles with us. The second is he injures us if necessary. The third is he exposes us. And then fourthly or lastly he blesses us. And so point one he wrestles us. Verse 24 it says so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. As Jacob waits, I'm all alone in the the dark of the night, in fear, all by himself, by that Jabbok River. He's suddenly attacked by some unknown figure, some shadowy figure comes from the, the, the darkness, he's, he's lurking, and perhaps he grabbed Jacob by the shoulder and spun him around and all of a sudden gets into this wrestling match with him. Jacob has no clue, has no idea who this man, who this person is. Was it a robber? Was it an assassin sent by Esau? Or was it perhaps Esau himself? He had no clue, no idea. The narrator who writes this passage doesn't reveal the man's identity immediately. And I think it's because from Jacob's perspective, he didn't know who it was. And so the narrator is trying to kind of let the story unfold in the way that Jacob would have seen the story. But believe it or not, this man who's wrestling with Jacob was an answer to Jacob's prayer. Remember, Jacob had just prayed, Lord, save me, rescue me, help me. My brother is coming to kill me. And then the answer to the prayer is this man wrestling him. Wow. This is probably not what Jacob expected as an answer to his prayer. Have you ever been there before? You pray something over here, God gives you something over there. and you're like, "Wait a minute, wait, hold up. That's not what I was asking for." But God says, "That's exactly what I want you to have, right? We're going to find out later that this was a theophany. Everybody say theophany. 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 You, you did really good with that. Great. A theophany is simply a manifestation of God that's a kind of tangible to our senses. Similar to like um, 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 Abraham. He had those three visitors that came and visited him. and But it was the Lord. And those same guys went on and they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a theophany. Same thing. So we need to be clear here in this passage that It's the one that God, it's God who initiates. It's not Jacob. God is the aggressor. Jacob was defending himself. Many times we uh, see this passage as an example of uh, needing to wrestle all night in prayer to God. Right? That's kind of the thing that we think about because it's been preached over and over and over again. But that's not the lesson here. Jacob didn't initiate with God to get something from him. He didn't even know who God was at this point. God is the one who initiated with Jacob to get something from him. And the thing that he wanted was his reliance upon him. He wanted his humility so that he could bless him. Now later on, once Jacob gets a clue as to who he's wrestling, then he is going to want something and he's going to hold on for it. We'll get to that later. You know, the goal of wrestling... If, if, has anybody ever wrestled in school before? Alright, we got a few wrestlers out there. The goal in wrestling... It's not like boxing, right? Boxing is kind of like, I want to injure you. It's not like UFC, which is kind of like a crossbreed between like wrestling and martial arts and boxing. And it's not like, I want to hurt you. It's, I want to kill you in UFC, right? Wrestling, the, the, the goal is, is to establish dominance in wrestling. It's, it's to show the other person who's boss. It's to establish who has the most strength. And so in wrestling, you win when you get the other person to submit. You might have a circle on the ground, and the first person that gets the other one outside of the circle, that, again, establishes territory. This is my domain. You ain't got nothing going on inside of this circle, right? Or you pin the person's shoulders to the mat, right? Two shoulders to the mat. boom. Boom. You're out. Again, you're establishing dominance. Or if you tap out, right? It's more aggressive wrestling, right? When you feel like you're about to die, let me tap out real quick. Boom, boom. But again, it's all submission. That's what wrestling is all about. And that's what God wants to do in our lives on the path to blessing. He wants to bless us. But first, we've got to know who the alpha dog is. We've got to know where the blessing comes from. And if we're not aware of it, sometimes God will wrestle us to make that point very, very clear. Now, unfortunately for Jacob, he was not aware of it. He thought that his blessings came from himself. Remember, what we just talked about was the first recorded prayer we had of Jacob in all the time that we've been studying out Jacob in the Bible. And so it wasn't clear yet who he was wrestling or even why he was wrestling. He was just wrestling. He wouldn't submit. He keeps on fighting. The man could not pin him down. And the Bible says that they wrestle until daybreak. They wrestle for hours. So point two, he injures us if necessary. He injures us if necessary. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And so it's not that the man couldn't win the match physically, that wasn't the issue. It was through all of that wrestling going on for hours and hours. And those of you that have wrestled, you know that after a four minute or a six minute match, you're exhausted, you're wasted. Jacob's going on for hours. And it wasn't that the man couldn't stop Jacob or pin him. He could have done that. The issue was that Jacob would not give up. He would not submit. That was the issue. He was still fiercely proud. Fiercely self-sufficient. You know that God won't make you change. He won't force you to change. He won't make your heart change. Now, surely He'll influence us. Surely He'll lead us. For sure, He will wrestle us to help us to understand who's in control. He'll put us in some hard circumstances to get our attention, even give us some pain. But like Pharaoh, it's always your decision to change. Jacob was so proud so busy fighting back that he didn't get the message that he was not gonna win. He just kept fighting and fighting until daybreak. And finally, I imagine this scene to be kind of like, you've seen the the cartoons where you got one person, he's kind of fighting like this, and then you got the, the strong guy, he's just kind of like, you know what I mean? That's what it was like. God was like this fighting Jacob. All right, Jacob, when are you gonna quit? When are you gonna stop? And it's almost like God was fighting with one arm tied behind his back, you know, and then at daybreak, when daybreak comes, God says, all right, let me just use my other arm and boom, let me just touch you on the hip. And Jacob's like, he's like all bent over and broken now. Right. It's not that God couldn't win. He could win at any point that he wanted to. But he touches Jacob and Jacob is now wounded for life. Jacob's got a limp. God touches him on his hip or his thigh, his quads, right? These are like the strongest muscles of our bodies that are right here in our legs. And again, if you're a wrestler, if you don't have strong leg muscles, forget it. Because your legs allow you to, you know, pivot and do all the different things that wrestlers do and, and eventually win your match. But anyway, Jacob was so willful that this is what it took for him to finally stop. He couldn't wrestle for an hour, two hours, and figure out, okay, I'm not going to win. The sun starts to come up. He doesn't get tired and say, you know what? This is just kind of futile. Let me just stop. He just keeps right on going. And God has to say, look, it's getting to be daybreak, Jacob. Let me just pop you really quick and show you who's who. The flesh dies hard, does it not? the flesh dies hard and if necessary, God will wound us too to show us that he's in control. We don't see it. We just keep on going thinking, whoa, well, it's not that bad until God eventually injures us. First car I ever had. Matt inspired me by telling a story about his first car. So I've got a first car story. My first car that I ever had was a 1984 Dodge Shelby Charger. 2.2 liter four-cylinder. I mean, I, I used to love this car. But I had it for six years, two years in high school, all four years in college, and until one day it started making this grinding noise in the engine. I didn't understand why, but I thought I probably need to put some oil in it. So I went and I put some oil in the car. I'm like, amen. I'm I'm set up. I'm good to go. I keep driving and it's grinding and grinding. It's weird sound. Almost like it was like wheezing or something. Like ah, ah. I'm like, alright, well I'll just put some more oil in it, because it did burn oil after all. So I put some more oil in the car and I kept driving and one of my friends told me, You should probably take that to the mechanic. I said, no, nah, it's alright. I'ma just put more oil in the car, which I kept doing. Until one day, I was driving along, and all of a sudden, the car just quit. It just died. It overheated. Smoke started coming out of the engine. I look out of the car, and there's all this fluid just spilled all over the ground. My water pump had broken. The engine had overheated, and then the engine block cracked. All of the coolant came out of the engine and spilled all over the ground, and the car was totaled. I got the car towed to the garage, the guy said, it's totaled, there's nothing you can do with this car. I said, well, will you give me some money for it? He said, I'll give you $200. I said, okay. I pulled my car stereo out of it, I had a box of stuff in there, and I went on home. Now, fortunately, I just graduated from college, and I had my big person's job, so I was able to go and buy a new car. But the point is, if you let things go on and on and on, and you don't listen to the signs that God is sending your way, He will eventually injure you, and sometimes permanently. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe it's loss. Maybe it's actual physical injury to get our attention. But if we don't submit to the Holy Spirit and let Him guide us, God will wrestle us, and He will even injure us, if necessary. He'll do one of these big backdrops on us right here. Thirdly, he exposes us. He exposes us. Verse 26. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now Jacob is broken physically at this point and the man tries to end the match he tells Jacob let me go it's done and it could have ended right there and many times it does God wrestles with Jacob Jacob doesn't submit he gets wounded for life and he leaves without a blessing he probably would have gotten an attitude with God and ended up bitter That happens to us, too. We go through life. God is wrestling with us. Warning signs. Things are going on, right? Eventually, boom, he hits you. You get injured permanently. Something happens. But you don't realize that it was God who was trying to bless you. And if somehow you would have been humble and listened, you would have gotten the blessing in the end. You don't see that it's the hand of God. You just see it as circumstance. Or you see it as God being punitive, right? And then we walk away. We get bitter and we get attitudes, but just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, Jacob realizes that this is no ordinary man that he's wrestling. And even though he's been defeated, he clings to him and he asks for the blessing. He refuses to let the man go. Jacob still has fight within him, even though he's been physically damaged. And in verse 26, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this is not good in the sense that Jacob's been defeated, the match is over, and he's still holding on trying to get something. But it is good in the sense that it's his relentless pride that God eventually uses to get the blessing to him. It's kind of like judo, right? In judo, you use the other person's body, weight, and motions against them. It's kind of like what God is doing here. Jacob's just still fighting, still fighting. God's like, all right, let me just kind of flip you over, right? So verse 27, the man does the equivalent of what we used to do as young boys on the playground. When I was a young kid, we would um, go out for recess and we'd play kickball. And uh, you might get in the fight if you lost. If your kickball team lost, or somebody beamed you with the kickball and hit you upside the head, we used to use those big red rubber, you know, kickballs, right? And you would get hit with one of those things, and it just kind of thong bang, bang off your head. And you might get into a little fight on the playground. But I mean, you never really wanted to just like bloody anybody's nose or anything like that. You'd start to wrestle and fight, and then ultimately you'd have the person beat, but the person would not give up. So you get them in a headlock, right? And you make them say something. What would you make them say, brothers? What would you say? Say, Uncle! Say, Uncle! Right? And what does Uncle mean? Uncle means, I I give up. I quit. You're better than me. You win. And that's what God did to Jacob right here. Jacob replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asks him, What is your name? Say it, Jacob. Release your pride. Say who you really are. So you know back then, the name meant who you were. Your name was your character. Your name was your person. And as Jacob is trying to hold on and fight and cling to the man, the man says, Give it up, Jacob. And Jacob finally says, Jacob, the equivalent of uncle. Or in other words, I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm conniving. I'm a heel grabber. And for probably the first time in Jacob's life, he took some responsibility He owned up for what he did to his brother. He owned up for when he finally deceived his father for the first time. It's the same as tapping out. Outside of Jesus Christ, what's your name? Who are you really? And I say outside of Jesus Christ, because I know within Jesus Christ, we've got awesome names. okay. but I think at the same time, we've got to realize and remember that outside of Jesus Christ, we also have a name. Because if we forget and God is trying to get our attention, we'll continue to fight just like Jacob. so is your name people pleaser? Is it bully? Is it coward? Is it worldly? Is it abuser? Is it impure? Is it vain? Is it something else? We've all got a name. Admit your name. Face who you are outside of Jesus. Let God expose you. Brokenness is the path to blessing. Lastly, he blesses us. He blesses us. Verse 28, then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob begins to realize even more who this mysterious figure is and because not only has he defeated him with a touch but now he's changed his name and who else can change somebody's name except for god alone god tells him that his name will no longer be jacob meaning deceiver but now israel because he's struggled with god and with humans and he's overcome now israel traditionally means he fights He struggles, he strives with God. And as you read your Bibles, at least mine, at the bottom of mine, I've got a a little note here that says Israel probably means he struggles with God. Now, in this uh, definition of the name, Jacob is the subject, he, right? And then God is the object. He struggles, he fights, he strives with God. God is the object. But in every other name in the Bible... That ends with the name of God Which is El El is the Hebrew name for God Every other name that ends with El It's the opposite God is the subject And something else is the object So Ishmael means God hears Ezekiel means God strengthens Bethel means God's house That was the place Samuel means God's name Daniel means God judges me Emmanuel means God with us. In all of these, God is the object, not the subject. And so as I've studied this and consulted other references, I believe that Israel means God fights. God strives. God struggles. Versus he struggles with God. He fights with God. And really that's the point. Of the whole passage. God fought. God struggled. God turned self sufficient Jacob into Israel. God blessed him before he entered the promised land. And now, for the first time, Jacob realizes that in order to win, he has to lose. He leaves the promised land with nothing, he comes back wealthy. He leaves hunted. He comes back forgiven. He leaves with no lineage. He comes back with two wives, two concubines, and 11 sons. He leaves as Jacob, the deceiver. He comes back as Israel. He leaves walking, proud and tall and self-sufficient. He comes back with a limp and a hitch in his step. Humbled. Humbled. You know, the nation of Israel, too, had to learn that they could not enter and overtake the promised land on their own strength. They had to rely on God alone and let God fight the battles for them. As they escaped Pharaoh in Egypt, as the Red Sea was about to be parted, Moses says in Exodus 14, he answers the people and says, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians will see you today and you will never see them again. Sorry, I read that wrong. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And as they were about to enter the promised land, Moses writes in Deuteronomy, then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord, your God, who is going before you will fight you. For you, as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes, and in the wilderness. God did the same thing with the Apostle Paul. Remember the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. He was wounded, a messenger of Satan to torment me three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The same is true for us today. Our promised land is the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? God wants to bless us with the kingdom and he fights to change us into the people that we need to become reliant and dependent upon him. If you would like to enter the kingdom of God with confidence, submit yourself to Jesus Christ. Trust in him for your blessing. He died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. So that you could completely depend on him and his sacrifice. Don't wait. Sit down with whomever brought you today. Open up the Bible and rely on him. God fights. And the path to blessing is brokenness. How does he do it? He wrestles with us. If necessary, he injures us. He exposes us and he blesses us. Let's tap out. Let's submit to him. Let's lose to win and be blessed and enter the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.